how am I going to go forward? How am I going to manage the emotional side of it? And some of these emotions, you know, my self-confidence went down. There was like a fear of when am I going to be getting my next paycheck? Am I going to be able to find a job at my age anymore? So all of these things, really kind of a negative thoughts started to play out in my mind. So I realized, okay, Siru, you are a coach. Why don't you hire a coach to help you out? So I hired a coach to help me out. Then I joined a couple of different programs that helped me to kind of lean into the future. Described as a psychological capacity to adapt to stressful circumstances and to bounce back from adverse events, resilience is a highly sought-after personality trait in the modern workplace, which is why on a podcast this week, we wanted to speak to executive and leadership coach Siru Heno to unpack what resilience means and to find out how we can build resilience in the workplace. With 20 years of management and leadership experience in the FMCG industry and over 12 years of leadership development, Siru is seasoned in designing and delivering leadership development programs, both for high-performing individuals and teams. Prior to transitioning to leadership development, Siru was an accomplished marketing and branding executive in the coffee industry for almost two decades. So let's get the conversation started. Hi. This is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to kickstart our conversation today with Siru. Well, ladies, thank you so much for inviting me. This is a really great pleasure. So a little bit of background. I actually had the privilege to cross paths with Siru during my first year working here in Hong Kong. And I got to experience one of her really wonderful professional development courses that she had facilitated. So I'm really excited that we get this chance to, you know, reunite again. Likewise, I was very pleased when I got your note. Great, great. So Siru, before we dive into our discussion today on how we can build resilience in the workplace, could you start by sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your very eventful career journey from marketing and branding in the FMCG industry to the work that you do today with executive and leadership coaching? So I think the whole journey begins in, in 2004, 2005. That was a time when we lived in Helsinki and I was working for a really well-respected coffee organization, having teams in Scandinavia, Baltic countries, and Russia. And the team, you know, we were responsible for brand strategies, brand activation, new product and concept development, and a consumer insight. I had just finished my MBA program. And I thought about, upon finishing the MBA, that the next thing I'm going to study and I want to do something that is helping me to grow as a human being. Prior to that, I had already engaged to work with a coach and I got a lot of value from the conversations that I had with her. So I thought that there's something really intriguing about this coaching and I signed up for a one year long coaching certificate program. And that got me thinking about or flirting with the idea that what if one day I could get into this coaching and do it professionally at the later stage in my career. Then something started to shift in our lives. My husband got a job offer to move to Shanghai in 2007. And um, I said to him that, okay, yeah, let's think about it. And in about 10 seconds, I said, yeah, let's do it. But then again, what had happened was that we had been traveling to Asia oftentimes during the, the dark winter months. And uh, we had been thinking about living in Asia at one stage. So there's this saying that the teacher will come when the student is ready. 
So I thought that this was an omen, the invitation to move to China, Hong Kong, and then follow my own star, resigning from the organization and then get myself into really studying coaching. So uh, the first years in Hong Kong, I did a number of coaching programs because you can imagine that I had already a certain level in the marketing world. So I had to go back to kindergarten and really start from the very, very first uh, step. It was a daunting idea that, okay, do I ever make this? This is so difficult. And, and whether I can ever reach the level where I can call myself a coach. But then again, I also had this deep desire to get on with it. So fast forwarding many, many years, I did some up, I did uh, coaching practice, I did many programs. There were times when I was working for leadership development consultancies. Then there were times when I was working as an in-house coach, and then that's journeys when we met. And now I'm running my own practice. So um, it was like a long transition from the marketing executive to a coach, but somehow I had this calling within me that I knew that one day I will be doing this. I love what you said about the teacher will come when the student is ready. <laughs> the, the analogy is, is extremely apt. And so coming to our topic of the conversation today, where we are talking about building resilience in the workplace. Resilience is this buzzword, especially in the past two years during the pandemic. And unsurprisingly so in the face of mass redundancies, disruptions, as well as uncertainties, right? We don't know what's coming tomorrow, what more in the next one year. So in your words, Siru, how would you describe resilience? We're also interested to know, how do you think resilience in the workplace looks like? Mm, I think indeed resilience is a word that many of us is getting tired. And yet again, as we were discussing earlier, thinking about the past two plus years, we all have needed so much of resilience to go through. And so it's, it's a very, very uh, typical thing to discuss. So I would think that resilience is really ability to stand my ground and, and keep going, enduring disruption, standing my ground and tolerating and managing the significant uh, amount of stress and then kind of bound back and be able to perform and keep going. So it doesn't mean that uh, if I'm resilient or being resilient, it wouldn't mean that I wouldn't experience any emotional turmoil. Of course, I would like anyone else. But there's this element of like, I'm trusting myself. I can move forward. And I trust that good things will come. So this element of positivity about it as well. But in the workplace, of course, it is that we are performing. We're not kind of paralyzed by the disruption and the change that is happening. So without resilience, in the, what we can see in the workplace is there are growing levels of stress and burnout. People will burn out, they will get sick and they will have you know, away days. We are also seeing a high-end level of anxiety and mental instability if we don't have resilience. And of course, at worst, high level of disengagement. So that's what it could look like. So being resilient in the workplace, we would be able to focus in what's in, in front of us, we would be motivated, we would be connecting with one another, and we would be producing results and taking action. How does that sound? Really good. I think you articulated it beautifully. And I think when it comes to the workplace, undeniably, right, if you have a workforce of resilient workers, that would be directly reflecting on the bottom line when employees are engaged. That translates across their performance as well. But, you know, Siru, I'm actually curious. Why do you think it's important to build resilience from a personal angle? 
for me as the individual and not me, Janice, the employee. Why does resilience matter? Mm, that's, a, that's a really good question. Really thinking from a personal perspective that if I'm someone who cares about myself, recognizing that resilience is an antidote for burnout and it's an antidote for uh, mental instability. So um, thinking about the burnout, if I'm burning out, it's going to be really, really a devastating for me physically, emotionally, mentally, and, and spiritually. And then it may start alienating me from my community. So therefore, I think that it's really, really important that I build resilience and also that I, I engage in an environment that will support me going forward. And, and I engage in an environment where we prioritize well-being. Maybe I just want to push and challenge you a little bit more, Ciro. Standing from the perspective now as maybe an employee who perhaps view their jobs as a means to an end, right? They just go to work every day and they just want to put food on the table. We know that resilience is something that can help them, you know, feel more motivated, feel more engaged in their workplace. But for these category of employees who just want to get the job done and, and just clock off at five, for instance, do you think they would be less inclined or skeptical to want to build that resilience in the workplace? It's an interesting because I'm thinking that whether if I'm a resilient person, whether I'm resilient outside of work or in the work. So can I really make the distinction? Because I'm thinking that being a resilient person, it's applicable to different systems that I operate. So my family, my friends, the society. So in that respect, it is vital to build that kind of resilience to go forward because the disruption that we have in our life doesn't only happen in the workplace. And the past two years has really, really highlighted that this disruption that we are going through ongoingly right now is touching upon every single aspect of our lives. So therefore, I don't think that resilience is just a nice to have. What may happen in the workplace is that some of these projects or some of these engagement ways, they may not meet the needs of the employees. So it could be that organization is putting a lot of effort trying to build the uh, resilience in the workplace, but there's no cookie cutter. So one tool might not work for everyone. So what would it really invite workplaces to have meaningful conversation and find out what is it that takes the box? What is it that you as an individual or a group of individuals, what you might need? There's an interesting study. This is already uh, 2020, and this was by Aeon. So they did a study, and according to the study, only 30% of employees were resilient. So I think there's a really big opportunity to build that resilience, particularly when we're thinking about how it's impacting the performance, how it's impacting the well-being, and really the healthiness of our staff. So there's a really, really good reason to focus and build upon resilience. Ciro, we'd like to also invite you to share with our audience a defining moment in your career that has helped you to shape your understanding of resilience and taught you to increase your level of resilience. Because evidently, as a coach that teaches and talk about resilience day in, day out, it's definitely a muscle that you're exercising. But I also assume that it comes with a very personal story. So we'd like to invite you to share any of these experiences with our audience. Mm, thank you. And like you said, it is really a muscle and we can talk about the muscles in a moment. 
but it's really a muscle that uh, one needs to engage in disruption. There's a personal, quite recent example where I really needed to engage consciously with my resilience and the different aspects of resilience that I learned. In late 2020, I was with a large multinational organization in supply chain, and uh, I had a dream role. I was working in, in corporate capability development, coaching individuals, helping the top 3,000 global leaders in the organization, developing their leadership. So that involved one-on-one coaching, team and group coaching, and then designing and delivering different uh, types of workshops globally. So first, the China-US trade war started to impact the business, and then the pandemic hit. And there was numerous rounds of uh, restructuring, reallocating the budget. And of course, I could see that maybe, you know, when the companies at this, this stage maybe the leadership development and in-house coaching is not the top priority. So there was a day when uh, my manager asked me to come and speak with her. And she shared me the information that, you know, my team, myself, we would, ma- would be made redundant. So even though I, I knew, I understood the why, but of course it was emotionally devastating. And there were many things that kind of started to unravel and my fear really, really uh, kicked off. I knew that I was going to be landing on my own and that with my own practice. But in that moment, when I heard the news, I thought about what's the right thing for me to do here? How might I be supporting the people that are going out? And in that way, also be supporting myself. So I started to uh, offer one-on-one coaching, group coaching for people who were going out and really running a lot of these workshops and which one of them was the building resilience. So I kind of had this theoretical aspect and okay, what is it I can and what is it I need to need to do? Because it, it was an individual and a collective experience. So um, I learned some really important lessons. I learned that, first of all, I need to really, I call it to upskill my self-care. I tend to be someone who goes out and supports others. And I kind of deprioritize my own needs, even though I know that I, it's important. But I really needed to reorient my thinking and thinking about How am I going to go forward? How am I going to manage the emotional side of it? And some of these emotions, you know, my self-confidence went down. There was like a fear of when am I going to be getting my next paycheck? Am I going to be able to find a job at my age anymore? So all of these things, really kind of a negative thoughts started to play out in my mind. So I realized, okay, Siru, you are a coach. Why don't you hire a coach to help you out? So I hired a coach to help me out. Then I joined a couple of different programs that helped me to kind of lean into the future. But with the coach, I realized that, okay, my devastating experience is going to be helpful for me as a coach in the longer term. Because in this way, I can connect with people who are going through something similar. So this reframing really helped me to kind of settle with the thought. And I said, okay, let's see, this might be a good. The second thing that I I thought it was a really great learning was that I need to focus on here and now. I tend to be a kind of a person who thinks, you know, these worst case scenarios and one thing leads to another one. So I really need to kind of focus, breathe in and breathe out and think about here and now. Now everything is going to be okay. Nothing bad is going to happen. And then the third thing that I learned had to do with asking for help. I never been really good at asking for help. 
I realized that why is it so difficult for me to ask help for help? It's because I associated asking for help for uh, not being capable or being less of or something. So I deliberately, I started to practice asking help. And in the beginning, when I was asking someone, for example, to introduce me to someone, I said, hey, I'm practicing this asking help. Could you therefore blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of a deliberate practice. And uh, if I'm thinking right now, it has been a journey and it has been a continuous journey and, and conscious journey to re-engage with my resilience muscles that we can discuss a little bit later. And an important factor is also that how do I go about recognizing what is well in my life? Like there could be a practice of gratitude or thinking about like and really recognizing what is well and calling it out. So those were some of the learnings that I got out of my big dis- disruption that happened in my professional life. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. I know it's such a personal story and I'm really grateful for your vulnerability. You know, hearing everything that you've just described, it sounds like an incredibly devastating and rollercoaster of emotions. And it's something that just hits you suddenly out of nowhere. And so for you to have to go through all of the emotions and also have to coach yourself through the situation, I think that's incredible. And the learnings and key takeaways that you've, that you've shared about learning to upskill your self-care, knowing that you can't pour out of an empty cup. You have to also prioritize yourself when you need it. And I think one point that stood up to me is where you ask for help, even though you were a coach and you have all of these frameworks in your mind, I'm sure, you know, in your arsenal, you have all these great frameworks, but still, you knew when you needed to ask for help. And so this kind of brings me to my next question, which is you talked about you know, navigating the uncertainty in your own life. And I think that is a large component of building resilience, whether in the workplace or outside the workplace. So you've shared quite a bit about how you've personally navigated this event in your life. But how would you advise people out there listening on how they can learn to develop their change muscles and to also navigate change? Mm. And uh, there's no one way to do it. There's plenty of different ways. So thinking about any development, I think it's good to recognize first what's going on, what's my current reality, and then accepting the current reality without being judgmental. Because sometimes we may recognize, oh gosh, you know, this is going on with me and it's so difficult. So I'm not accepting or I'm in denial, but really accepting, okay, this is what it is. And deciding that I'm going to do something about it. So I think one would also want to get clarity on why do I want to do something about it? So being clear about the purpose. I think that's just general in any development. And of course, thinking about resilience, there are many models that one can use And uh, there are many books written about it. One model that I've been using, it's called Resilience Alliance. And they introduce like five resilience characteristics and they call them muscles. And because if we could see that they are like muscles, we recognize that we can develop them. And oftentimes, if we're thinking about our physical being, some of our muscles are are stronger and some of them are weaker. Which of my muscles I'm over-exercising and which of them I'm I'm not exercising that much? And what could I do to bring that balance? So if we are looking at the building these muscles, it's never too late. And it's usually we start thinking about resilience when something bad happens. So I would almost invite people to start building the muscles and recognizing I'm kind of like getting ready for something that may happen in the future. 
So let's look a little bit about these muscles. So I think the first of them has to do with the mindset and it's called positive. So it has to do with to what extent I see the world as complex, but yet filled with different opportunities. And uh, during the disruptions, do I see opportunities or am I just focusing on the problems and the dangers? So that's like one thing. Looking at also in about myself is that, do I see the valuable person that I am? Do I really see that I have these strengths and experiences that I have cultivated throughout my journey? And uh, I'm able to connect with these strengths regardless of the situation. So this element of like believing yourself. The second one has to do with being focused. Am I directing my energy to the most important goals or task or whether I'm diffusing my energy, you know, being scattered all around? The third one has to do with the flexibility. Am I willing to be flexible and opening up to new possibilities and new resources and thinking about people around us Am I always just hanging around with the same people or am I kind of reaching out to new people to get new perspectives and new ways of thinking about things and calling for help when needed? So this was something that really, really stood out for me. Oh, Zero, call for help when you need it. You don't need to do your website on your own. It's never going to be done. So get someone to do that. One of the important muscles also in resilience could be seeing as boring as being organized. But it's almost like, do I have a structure? Am I disciplined to come up with you know, solutions in my life? So kind of being organized and the word discipline maybe doesn't resonate so well with many of people, but I have recognized that in my life that, okay, if I'm disciplined, if I'm organized in a way that, okay, I make time for my morning meditation and I'm disciplined and I'm following through, it's going to help me, I know. And then the last one would be to do with proactiveness. Am I someone who is proactively experimenting different things or am I just going to wait until everything is clear before I can take action? So experimenting could be also perceived as, you know, I'm learning and, and I try it out and I'm learning. Like this um, exercise that I'm doing with you ladies right now, this is an experiment. So proactively throwing myself into it. Like if I'm someone who is scattered, you know, I have many things going on, I could sit down every morning and think about what are my top three priorities today? Where am I going to be focusing today? Once I've done that, then I can do something else. So like having that kind of a discipline and practice, this is not a rocket science. But then again, how often do we uh, think about it? Janice may have heard me talking about dance floor and balcony. So I think my invitation for all of us is to alternate between these two, two different places. So my dance floor would be the, you know, the ongoing stuff that I'm doing day in, day out, being so busy. I know my movements. I know the people that I'm with. You know, it's the normal, the natural thing. But oftentimes it's good to zoom out, step on the balcony. And kind of when I'm looking at my reality from a distance, I'm seeing the patterns that work well for me. I'm seeing who are the playing partners there with me. Where are the gaps? What do I need to start doing differently? And then I can engage back at the dance floor. But making that kind of a discipline where we alternate between these two different places. So that's going to be oftentimes very, very helpful. And then I think last but not least, this is the boring stuff. This is what other mothers are always telling us. What are your sleeping patterns? Do you get enough of exercise? Do you move your body? 
how about your nutrition? Are you connecting with people and get that kind of a emotional support and excitement meeting with people? Or am I spending too much time on social media and Netflix? But this is all boring and people always stop listening to, you know, there's this inclination to think about that there needs to be like a silver bullet or something more fancy. But like I said, building resilience is not a rocket science. The analogy you gave, Siru, on tapping your way on the dance floor as well as just taking a moment to pause and step out on the balcony, I think it's so um, beautifully put because it recognizes that you are somebody who is constantly juggling. And we always talk about the balls you're juggling at work. There's family. There are so many priorities that we're trying to always be on top of. But at the same time, when you step out on the balcony, you actually take that moment to look at the bigger picture and have a bird's eye view of everything that you're going through. And so coming back to the workplace, how can people, managers and leaders play a part in building a resilient workforce? There's this management strategist, his name is um, Ralph Stacey. He has said that the quality of the system is determined by quality of relationships, which are determined by quality of conversations. So here we could think about that the system is the team or the organization that the manager and the team are working. So I would invite and encourage leaders to connect with the home with human qualities, empathy, compassion, vulnerability, and then make time for these meaningful conversations. So first of all, to really start to understand where is your team? How are they going? Are they overly stressed out? Are they underperforming because something is hindering them to go forward? So really making time for these conversations. And then again, I'm thinking that the past two years probably have almost forced many leaders to have these conversations. So making time for those conversations rather than being overly, overly focused on the uh, task. So think about, for example, a normal team meeting. You know, oftentimes we have a team meeting and then we dive into the conversation. What if the leader in the beginning of the team meeting would have like a checking in, produce a question for the participants and do a round so that everyone would have a choice to share something and have their voice heard. In my previous team, we would start all our weekly meetings with a reflection questions. So uh, we would took turns. For example, uh, if I knew that I could be imaginative, what would I think, feel, or do? So that would give us a people, oh, God, I think this is a question. So it takes us to another kind of a mind space. And we learn so much from everyone. And in team meetings, reflective questions, they don't take long. But kind of checking in, that would give us, you know, that would be a more human way to connect in team meetings. To what extent we as leaders give positive feedback and recognition to people for a work done well. Sometimes team leaders could, for example, use some other tools like DISC or other kind of mechanisms to get to know people from different perspectives. And that would also ease the beingness and it would impact both the team dynamic, but then also the, the team performance. Or then just the boring thing, looking at the, you know, the good meeting practices. Are we sending the agendas early in advance? Are we disciplined in our time? Are we as team members? Are we preparing for the meetings? So like some of these things, they will really help the team to be resilient and the organization to be resilient. The trick here is that I would like to say to all the leaders is that you don't need to know 
everything. You can engage in conversations and co-create some of these tools or some of these conversations with your team members. They will tell you. But what you need to do as a leader is to open the door and show the way. Siru, those are such practical tips that you provided. One thing that I was was also thinking and in the same vein when it comes to leaders and engaging their teams, what advice would you give people, leaders or managers who have to deliver bad news or have a very difficult conversation? Do you have any tips when it comes to that? The example that comes to me is exactly what my manager did to me when she broke the bad news. So she uh, invited me to her room and she said that immediately, well, she knew me, she said, I don't have good news for you. So cut the chase. And then she said what she needed to say. And then we had a conversation. Then she invited me to come back and have another conversation with her later. So I really like that she was really clear, transparent, and direct. She didn't try to sugarcoat anything. So that was what I liked. That would work for me. But of course, every individual is different. What I would love to invite, invite leaders is that don't shy away. If there is a conversation, if there's a feedback, developmental feedback that needs to be delivered, please don't shy away. That individual, your team members, they deserve to know. Maybe it comes to respecting people. Maybe it comes to being transparent and honest. But in that way, when we don't shy away and procrastinate with difficult conversations, we go head on to thinking in advance, like how I'm going to do it. It's going to be respectful for people. In that moment, it may not be so positive, but I think that, and I believe that in the end, people will value and respect if you as a leader are clear, honest, and transparent. Thank you so much for the reminder because I think oftentimes when it comes to delivering negative feedback, we are told you know, to give it in like a sandwich style. Like you start with a good, you layer it in the middle with like the negative actual feedback, and then you end it with the good. So... <laughs> Transparency is what works and being direct, not you know beating around the bush, that will let the recipient feel more respected at the end of the day, as you have pointed out. Yes, and I think that this is, a, this is of course, the hamburger model. That's one yeah. model. But I would almost say that please don't condition your people to expect and you first give them for positive, then they already expect it. Okay, so give me the bats. Sometimes just give them positive recognition that, you know, that's so highly motivational. That goes a long way. There's so much on the wordings, but it also how you deliver it, mm. where and when you deliver it. How are you as a leader in that moment? Are you willing to engage in conversation? And are you willing to hear? And so, Siru, we do want to ask you, you've shared so many practical steps that we can take, but do you have any other action steps or strategies that you would advise our listeners on how we can develop resilience? And I think more importantly, stay motivated, especially in the times that we live in today that's you know, full of uncertainty, ambiguity, complexity, and change. What I would like to say and invite all of us, myself including, is to really, first of all, put my well-being and resilience as a priority. So being clear about the why, why is my well-being important? The purpose, it's so important. That gives us fuel to go forward. If I don't put my well-being and resilience as priority, who is going to do it? I can't expect my workplace to do that. Of course, my workplace can support me and there's a job for workplace, but I need to drive that agenda because in the end, 
it is a question about my well-being. Second of all would be uh, slow down, pause, and step on the balcony on a regular basis. Whatever your balcony activity could be, you know, it could be that, you know, I, I go hiking and I don't listen to podcasts or music. I'm listening to my own thoughts, for example, or I journal. So slowing down. Oftentimes it's good to, uh, if I'm having some plans, to share them with someone so that someone could be your external accountability partner. It could be your friend, it could be your spouse, or you could hire a coach, but someone that can support you going forward. The, the last one has to do really the uh, don't be alone. Find something that is going to help you to lean forward, lean to the future, and, and give you that kind of a sense of hope. But really the thing is that take action. If I feel that I'm off, something is not, you know, I feel, like, of course, you know, to feel like getting out of the bed. It's only I who can make the difference. So I need to exercise my willpower, but also remember, why do I want to do this? Thank you for ending on that note, Siru. On the topic of accountability partner, Janice and I, we are our each other's accountability partners, both when it comes to the personal development front, as well as the professional development front. We definitely do keep our eyes out with each other on top of these kind of things. Oh, you're very, very lucky to have one another. So Siru, we want to ask you, what is one thing that you would like to explore more of in 2022? And it can be totally from a personal, professional front, anything at all that you'd like to share with our audience. I'm a learning chunky. So what I would love to explore more, I wanted to do a program in ontological coaching this year. Unfortunately, that particular program didn't go forward, but it's going to go forward later on this, in this year. We were three friends who were signing up for the course. So what we decided is we're going uh, to have a study group. So now we have a sign that we meet in every two weeks and we read certain pages and then we come together and, and discuss. So exploring more about ontological side of uh, coaching. Ontological side of coaching is a way of being having to do with language, having to do with moods and emotions and physicality. So to me, learning new and experimenting new is, is a factor that I want to keep continue doing this year as well. Well, Siru, Janice and I also definitely resonate with being learning junkies. So thank you for sharing. Where can our <laughs> guests find you, Siru? If you Google me, my first name is Siru, S-I-R-U, last name H-E-I-N-O. And if you put Siru Heino Hong Kong, I'm sure you're going to find me. So uh, anyone interested in resilience or anyone interested in needing support in their transitions, I'd be happy to have a conversation. Always happy to have coffee. So um, just give me a ring or give me a, send me an email. Yeah, we definitely invite our listeners to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Thank you. And on that note, I think I have to set up a coffee date with you soon, Siru. Yes, please. <laughs> I'd love that. So just wrapping up today's conversation with Siru, we have learned so much on how we can develop emotional resilience in the workplace, some of the action steps and strategies that Siru has shared, such as learning to prioritize your own well-being and resilience, learning to slow down, pause, step out on the balcony when you need to, and also to have an external accountability partner. And last but not least, you know, to take action. And as for people leaders, you're also reminded to create that safe space, create conversations where your employees can be open and transparent with you. And when it comes to difficult feedback, to not be afraid to be direct and transparent. So on that note, Siru, we thank you so much for sharing these tips with us and for taking the time to speak to Sarah and myself on the podcast today. 
Thank you, Sarah and Jen. It's really, really lovely seeing you both. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then! Thank you.